please turn with your Bibles to Luke chapter 19. Luke chapter 19. I don't know about you, but I love parades. Whether it's the uh, Maitland Little League parading through uh, the streets of Maitland, or the Super Bowl champion New York Giants through the streets of Manhattan. Probably my favorite parade is the Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade, with all of the floats and the bands and uh, just all of the excitement. Some of you have participated in the Martin Luther King Parade in Eatonville. There's something about a parade that is exciting. There are a number of parades in the scripture, but the most uh, notable one is the one that happens uh, on that triumphal entry when uh, Jesus, the Grand Marshal, rides into town, into Jerusalem... And uh, ready to face the music, riding in to die. But the people don't want to accept him as that suffering servant. They want a military king. They want to be delivered. Let's uh, look at this um, uh, passage and uh, trust that we can look at it afresh and uh, see what it meant then and what it means to us now. And I'll be preaching this in the first person, and as such, I take certain liberties, uh, so please indulge me. Luke chapter 19. After he had said these things, he was going on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. When he had approached Bethpage and Bethany, near the mount that is called Olivet, He sent two of the disciples, saying, Go into the village ahead of you, and there as you enter you will find a colt tied on which no one has yet ever sat. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you why are you untying it, you shall say, The Lord has need of it. So those who were sent away, those who were sent went away and found it just as he had told them. As they were untying the colt, its owners said to them, Why are you untying the colt? They said, The Lord has need of it. Now just imagine that, can you? They go in and they get this colt and tie it, and then the owner says, What are you doing? They said, Well, the Lord has need of it took a lot of faith on those disciples' part. 35, they brought it to Jesus and they threw their coats on the colt and put Jesus on it. As he was going, they were spreading their garments on the road. As soon as he was approaching near the descent of the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of the disciples began to praise God joyfully with a loud voice. For all the miracles which they had seen, shouting, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, teacher, rebuke your disciples. But Jesus answered, I tell you, 
If these become silent, the stones will cry out. When he had approached Jerusalem, he saw the city and wept over it, saying, If you had known in this day, even you, the things which make for peace, but now they have been hidden from your eyes. For the days will come upon you when your enemies will throw up a barricade against you and surround you and hem you in on every side. And they will level you to the ground and your children within you. And they will not leave you in one stone upon the other because you did not recognize the time of your visitation. My name is Reuben. And I've been invited here this morning to tell you a little bit about the most unusual day or days, even week, of my life. For you see, I was one of those you just read about. I was there to witness the parade of when uh, Jesus came to Jerusalem. Now, let me tell you a little bit about uh, my background. I, at this time, I was 37 years old. I had a beautiful wife, godly, Leah. We had three children. Uh, Andrew was 12 at this time, and Sarah was nine, and uh, Rachel, our baby, was five. We were farmers. Most people then were farmers. Uh, We didn't own a farm, but but we co-opted a farm with three other families, and we worked together. We had a community. But as Jews, we were awaiting the Messiah. Awaiting the Messiah. And we were under Roman rule at this time, not really Roman oppression, not like when... uh, Our people were under Pharaoh in Egypt. That was Roman oppression uh, or the the Egyptian oppression. And now it's just kind of Roman rule. As long as we minded our manners, we could worship in the temple. As long as there wasn't any fuss, uh, we had the freedom to worship. But we wanted deliverance. We wanted the deliverance that um, God promised. But we hadn't, uh, it had been 400 years since the canon of the Old Covenant, the Old Testament, was closed. There hadn't been a prophet in all of these uh, centuries. We were discouraged. Oh, we didn't verbalize it like that, but we were discouraged. When's the Messiah going to come? When is going to deliver us the way, uh, the way Moses uh, did uh, Pharaoh? And then... That day happened. It was early in the morning, and we were out early. We were out early getting our tools and getting ready to till the soil. But all of a sudden, Leah came, came running out, uh, came running out to the fields, calling me, Reuben, Reuben, come quickly. Oh, and I was so frightened what had happened. And she said, he's coming, he's coming. 
Who's coming? I ran to her. She said, Jesus. The one that we've been hearing about these last few years. Oh, we had, now we had heard about other uh, people claiming to be the Messiah. Uh, they would come and they would go. But this one Jesus had been around for these last three years. And uh, while I had never seen him, I had heard the stories from real credible people. How he, uh, uh, how he fed 5,000 people one time and then 4,000 another time just with a few loaves and fishes. How he healed a paralytic being lowered into through the roof in a big crowd. Why, he even raised a man from the dead just two miles from here in Bethany. I didn't know that man that he raised, but I did know blind Bartimaeus. And I knew Bartimaeus had been blind his whole life, and this one Jesus healed him. But perhaps the thing that most gripped my people was the way he spoke. He was teaching as one having authority. And so we were so excited. This might be him. Well, quickly I ran to the, uh, I ran to the house and, and got the kids and, and grabbed little Rachel. And we hurried out to the, to the road that, that went to uh, Bethany. And, and I even put Rachel up on my shoulders so she could see the parade that was coming. Uh, Rachel, can you see? Rachel, uh, can you see? Uh, can you see the bands? Uh, can you see? Can you see the floats, uh, Rachel? Uh, I'm at the convertible with the Jerusalem mayor. Uh, how about horses? Uh, sure, there are horses. How about how about the honor guard? Uh, how about a white horse? Is he on a white horse? Is there a security detachment around him as he's coming? They pray, but no. He wasn't, was he? We looked and he was coming riding on a donkey. And he was so approachable. uh, uh, The kids would go up and and touch him and pet the donkey. And it was quite amazing. And uh, and we said, well, what what can we do? Uh, If he's the Messiah, he's the Grand Marshal, we've got to do something. So... We took off our jackets and, and we laid them in the, in the road, kind of like a, a red carpet. Uh, and we, and get, some, uh, get some palm branches. Palm branches uh, were, were the symbol of military victory. And we were convinced that this Jesus was going to uh, set us free. And so uh, during all the, all the battles uh, uh, in uh, our history... Whenever our people had victory and they came back into our our villages and towns, uh, we would wave palm branches as a symbol of victory. Please, let's let's do that, kids. Get the the palm branches and wave them. And as he comes, uh, uh, you know, uh, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest, we started screaming and shouting joyfully. He was so approachable. Uh, on a donkey, 
Why on a donkey? Why not the white horse? Why not a chariot? Uh, I didn't realize then, but later found out that there were three reasons he came on a donkey. One was to fulfill prophecy. Zechariah 9.9 said that the, uh, the Messiah would come riding on a donkey, not just a donkey, but the colt of a donkey. And the second reason is because when we were Israel as a nation, we were a theocracy. Before we had kings, before we had King Saul and King David, we were a theocracy and, and God wanted to rule uh, without any human leaders. But as such, God uh, said, have judges ride around on donkeys to adjudicate various uh, uh, disputes among the people. And so that's what they did until our forefathers demanded a king so they could be like everybody else. But now here's this one. This, this one, Jesus, on this donkey. And later, I realized that he is the ultimate judge. He's coming on the donkey, the ultimate judge, to judge the world on what they think of him. Third reason is that the donkey was called a beast of burden. The beast of burden. Donkey, uh, you could pile everything on that donkey. That donkey would still would still move along. And now Jesus is on that donkey bearing our burden. Bearing my burden, Reuben's burden, my family's burden. I didn't pay attention to that. We wanted the hype, the excitement, the energy of the crowd as we were uh, praising him. And realizing he's come to set us free. But I must tell you, in the next few days, the excitement became less and less. And uh, Jesus started to disappoint us more and more. So much so, that within five days... Those of us who were standing alongside that parade route were now yelling, crucify him, crucify him. And I must tell you that I was yelling as loud as anyone. I wonder if I, as Chuck Green, was there. I wonder what I would have done. Oh, I'm sure I would have been at the happy parade. I've been shouting hosannas and waving the palm branches. But then, as things weren't quite going my way, the next days, and these didn't just seem to be the God I wanted. 
I probably would have been there calling out for his crucifixion. How about you? Is the God you want the God that is? So many times we get discouraged by what's going on in our lives that we might not verbalize that, but we're just disappointed in God. Disappointed in how he's doing things. Oh, sure, we're grateful, but we get discouraged. I have three points of application. The first, are you represented in the tear on Jesus' cheek? That passage says that as Jesus is entering Jerusalem, that he weeps. He weeps. It's not quite the image we get, is it? It's certainly one of the images that the people wanted back then. They wanted that military king to be set free so they could do what they wanted to do. But Jesus knows that and he weeps. He says, because you didn't recognize me in the day of visitation for who I am. And what I did on your behalf. Have you received Christ? I mean, really, have you trusted your whole life to him? Or are you here and you're just going about the paces? Your life really isn't much different than anybody else's who doesn't know Christ. Other than the fact that you come to church. Oh, my friends, as he looks into your heart, can you close your eyes for a moment and see if you're represented in that tear that slides out of the corner of his eye, down his cheek? And that's the message for you. You need to receive Christ. Second point of application, you know, preachers are to comfort the afflicted. And afflict the comfortable. (laughs) Let's start with comforting the afflicted. Some of you come in this morning and you're down. You're burdened. Just, uh, uh, what's it all about? I'm hurting. Oh, if people only knew, the people sitting in front of me or behind me or across the aisle, if they only knew how bad I'm hurting. I only knew that I'm, I feel trapped in a marriage that's less than fulfilling. The heartache you have with a child or maybe a teenager. The heartache, frustration you feel with a parent. You feel trapped. How can I get deliverance? Financially, I'm in over my head. Vocationally. Economy. 
My friends, you pray for deliverance. You pray that God will deliver you. But realize that it might not happen in this life. It might not happen in this life. God doesn't promise to deliver us in this life. Oh, he promises to deliver us uh, ultimately into eternity. And this life we live, we live in preparation for eternity. This is our, our, our training camp, getting ready for eternity. And yet we think this is all there is because this is all we've experienced. Remember the, the two-inch dash on the, uh, on the tombstone between the date of a person's birth and the date of their death. Maybe that two-inch dash, uh, uh, let, let's say it, uh, somebody lives 100 years, that two-inch dash represents their 100 years. But compare that two-inch dash to a mile. Two inches is pretty infinitesimal. Or five miles. Or how about from here to California, 3,000 miles. That two-inch dash is nothing. My friends, imagine, compare the two-inch dash to eternity. We're going to live not for 100 years. We're going to live for millions, billions, trillions of years. Yes, we will be delivered. We will live in paradise with Jesus. That is part of it. That is the hope. And that's the faith we have to have. And yet we see the faith of those last week who lowered the paralytic down. The incredible faith they had. We see today that Jesus tells a couple of disciples, go and uh, uh, take that colt. Get that donkey. If somebody says something to you, just tell them I need it. The faith they had. And yet five days later, things weren't going their way. They cried out to crucify Jesus. If you're afflicted this morning, you're burdened, you're hurting, the message for you is hang on. Hang on. This isn't all there is. No matter what the commercials teach us, it doesn't get any better than this. Oh, yes, it does, my friends. God created us for eternity. God created us for eternity. And we're going to spend eternity in heaven or in hell. And he creates us for this training period. This is our rehearsal. And we're to work on our own personal holiness. He'd rather, he wants us holy. He doesn't guarantee us to be happy. But he wants us to work on our holiness so if you're afflicted, you hang on. First Peter 2.9 says you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession. God possesses you. You're his child. You hang on. Third point. To afflict the comfortable. Maybe you're here this morning and things seem to be going okay for you. Um, but let's look at the second part of 1 Peter 2.9. You're a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession. Why? That you may proclaim the excellencies 
of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous life. That's why we're supposed to proclaim. That's verbally proclaimed. Part of that deals with uh, in church and worship and singing and in uh, Bible studies and talking about the Lord and proclaiming the excellencies of him who called us out of darkness and into life. But my friends... It also deals with us talking about Jesus to our unsaved friends, those people that we work with, go to school with, play golf with, tennis, socialize. Do you do that? Do you do that? All right, we're to be fishers of men. We're, we're to throw out a little bait every now and then. Do you say, uh, boy, I had an interesting, heard an interesting message in church Sunday. Wow. Throw out the bait. Do they take it? Do they say, why? You ever ask uh, somebody you work with, hey, do you have a church home? That's not very threatening. Uh, say, well, you know, our pastor is going to uh, preach on uh, probably the most, uh, most famous verse in all the Bible. On March 16, 316, he's talking about John 316. God so loved the world. Boy, I'd love for you to come with us. Or just meet us there. We'll go to lunch afterwards. You know, I am always motivated by encouragement. Most of us are. And yet the Bible said that there's a place that we're to be motivated by fear and by guilt. So now that I've done the encouragement, I want to give you just a skosh of guilt. There is a backside to this parade, isn't there? You see, there's another parade coming just a few days later. The same Grand Marshal, not on a donkey, on his feet. And he's carrying his cross. And the reason that we don't like to verbalize something about Jesus is because we're embarrassed or we don't want to offend somebody or we, we don't want to be rejected. We care so much about how we're accepted. My friends, you put this image in your mind and in your heart. When Jesus was carrying that cross, he was a bloody mess. He'd been up all night. They scourged him. 39 lashes. There'd be ribbons of skin hanging from his back. There'd be bloodstains. Instead of a tear on his cheek, there'd be bloodstains on his head. They punched him in the face and 
they put the crown of thorns on him. They didn't just set it there. They pushed it down, make sure it penetrates his skin a little bit. And he did it for you. And he did it for me. Do you think he was embarrassed? Do you think he was afraid that he was going to be rejected? My friends, our calling as a person who knows Christ is to proclaim the excellencies of him who has called us out of darkness and into life. This is our training ground. May God be pleased with you and me as we seek to be doers of God's word and not just hearers only. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word that you've given us. Oh God, we thank you that we have the New Testament as well as the Old that we're not just relying on priests to tell us what's in the scriptures, but we have each one our own Bibles. And God, as we think about that parade 2,000 years ago, and how excited the people were as long as Jesus was who they wanted him to be. Oh God, each one of us can identify to some degree with that. Oh Lord, there's so many times we get discouraged because you don't seem to do what we think is best. So God, I would pray that you would give us the faith, not the faith that, uh, that we would turn and flee, but give us the faith, Lord, to hang on. Those especially, God, that feel burdened, afflicted. Oh, God, wrap your arms around them this morning. May they sense your love, your compassion, your care for them as a parent to a child. Dry their tears on their pillow, God, and deliver them, God, Deliver them uh, sooner than later. But God, if you're not going to deliver them now, give them the faith and the hope, the knowledge of your love that eventually you're going to. And Father, for those of us who just kind of cruising along, oh, stimulate us, God, from this passage that we will want to proclaim your excellencies, to be grateful for what Jesus did, to even remember the blood, not just the grape juice, Lord, and the bread, but the blood that he shed for each one of us. 
an image that we don't want to conjure up, but an image that we need to conjure up as you tell us to remember it. May we be motivated to speak up. And oh God, for those here this morning who can see themselves represented in the tear on Jesus' cheek, oh God, I pray that your spirit would quicken their heart even to this day, even this night, as they go to bed, that they would get serious with you and stop playing games and turn their life over to you to be their Lord and their Savior. In this life, our two inches, but for eternity in paradise with you. We pray in Jesus' precious name. Amen.